You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Lynn. Today's topic is entitled The Walk. Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program and I'm so glad you've joined me today. Walking is supposed to be one of the best exercises. In the world there are some spectacular walking trails. The world's longest walking trail begins at Cape Town in South Africa and ends in Magadan in eastern Russia a distance of about 22,387 kilometres. By walking non-stop, the trek would take 187 days, about six months. By walking eight hours per day, the trip would take you just under one and a half years to complete. One of Australia's most famous walking trail is the Hyson Trail in South Australia. Commencing at Cape Jervis at the southern end of Flurio Peninsula to Parachilma in the Flinders Ranges, a distance of about 1,200 kilometres. It's recommended to only tackle this walk in the cooler months. There are people I know who've put completing this month-long walk on their bucket list. Before I share with you about walks in the Bible... I want to share a true story about a long walk to freedom. The story's been recorded in a book called The Long Walk by Sloamir Rowitz, who presented the story in which he was the main character. In reality, he never made that walk at all, but substituted himself in the place of Witold Glinsky, who actually did. I've read this story and it's absolutely riveting. If you want to read this for yourself, you'll find it in Volume 1 of True Stories of Great Escapes, published by Reader's Digest. We told was a teenager living in the Polish border town of Glablokia when he was arrested with his family by the invading Russians in 1939. Separated from his parents, he was taken to Moscow's notorious Lubyanka prison and, aged just 17, condemned to 25 years' hard labour, one among a million and a half Poles sent to Siberia. It might as well have been a death sentence, so he could either wait to die or try to get away. Wetold began plotting his escape as soon as he arrived. He volunteered to work as a lumberjack and secretly carved signs on the trees pointing the way to the south and, of course, the free world. Then he was befriended by the camp commandant's wife. She asked me to fix her radio, he remembers. She rewarded me with sweet tea and a slice of bread. But the best thing was that, above a desk, there was a map of Asia. Already a daring plan was forming as he tried desperately to memorise the details of the map. But the Commandant's wife, Maria Uzikov, even after all these years, he remembers her name, 
read his mind. She told me, "No, you'll need good clothes and sensible shoes." She gave me a parcel of dried meat, new shoes, hand knitted socks, and long underwear. Some time later, at midnight, with a savage blizzard howling around the camp, and carrying a haversack that was only a blanket tied at the corners, he tunnelled under the wire. But when he made it through, he turned to find six men had silently followed him. They were coming out of nowhere like cockroaches in a bakery. We told Sis. I told them we'll walk for twenty hours a day. Is that agreed? If they didn't like it, they could sit down and wait for the Russians. The weather was too bad for t- patrols to operate. No animal or human would stick a nose out of the door, so this was our only chance. Our immediate aim was to get out of Russia. The border was two thousand five hundred kilometers away. I pointed south, that way. The walkers set up a pattern: one man in front, forming a trail through the forest; two at the back, sweeping over the footprints with pine branches. He never discovered much about his comrades. They dare not trust one another. Their relationship was built on silent suspicion, not conversation. Smith, for example, was a mysterious American who had been working as an engineer in Moscow when he was arrested. Batko was Ukrainian, wanted for murder in his homeland, muscular and fiercely determined. Zaro was a cafe owner from Yugoslavia, and the others were Polish soldiers. They would have to rely on one another, as their struggle to survive got tougher. We told took charge. Growing up in the country, he'd learned which plants and fungi were edible, and how to cook them, how to hunt fish and trap animals. Once they found a deer trapped in a ravine, they feasted on it for days afterwards, and used pieces of the hide to bind up their thick felt prison boots. Days before they reached the border with China. They had an encounter which is still vivid in Weetold's memory. On the path was an eighteen-year-old Kristina Polunsk, a terrified young Polish girl, who had fled barefoot through the forest from the Russians, who killed her family, and tried to rape her. She was very lonely and distressed, and when I inspected her foot, I knew straight away she'd gangrene. Weetold says. I didn't want to be saddled with a sick girl, but what could I do? I made moccasins for her with the rest of the deer skin, and we carried her on a stretcher of poles with dry grass. But every day she got worse. Her leg turned black, and the skin swelled and burst. It was terrible to watch. They crossed the Trans-Siberian Railway line, pushed on into Mongolia. And there, Christina became ravaged with fever. She shook each of the men's hands, then closed her eyes, and died. They buried her in a shallow trench, and covered her body with stones. 
They wept, he remembered, but they didn't say a prayer. Gradually, fields and forests gave way to sand dunes and bare rocks, and the marchers came to their toughest test, sweltering in temperatures of 40 degrees Celsius in daytime, freezing at night, and ravaged by dust storms. We walked in the dark, and sheltered from the sun under our ragged clothes propped on sticks, we told says. Wolves and jackals would circle around us. For water we sucked frost from stones in the early morning, then turned them over and found moisture below. We got so thirsty we even sipped our own perspiration, and some drank their own urine. We were desperate. Every activity all day was a hunt for things to eat. There were lots of snakes up to a metre long. Each of us had a walking stick, so we used them as prongs. You would stab the fork down to catch the snake, then cut off its head. It would continue to wriggle for hours. Then we cut a ring around the body and peeled off the skin, rubbing sand on our hands to get a better grip. Next you had to take out the spinal cord carefully because it's poisonous. Chop the body into pieces and boil it. We couldn't bring ourselves to eat snake until we finally had to. The first to die were two of the Polish soldiers. We told watch them deteriorate and recognise the signs of scurvy. They walked more and more slowly. Their legs swelled up and they could pull out teeth with their fingers, he says. They died on the same day. By the time we'd buried the first, the second was almost gone. The two men had always walked side by side. Now they were laid side by side in graves. As they moved through Tibet and the Himalayas, they helped out on farms in return for food and shelter. But in the climb, the next man perished, another of the Polish soldiers, who stood on a ledge that crumbled under him. In the final two weeks of their march, we told had become ill and weak, and he could only remember snatches of images. Their shoes were still holding together. Remarkably, their tough prison trousers had survived, but the limping, bedraggled group were a strange sight. We told's blonde hair had grown long and flowing, so he tied it up in buns during the heat of the day and wrapped it around himself like a scarf at night. A local guide took them through the mountains, a long path so narrow they had to go sideways to a pass that led down into the area that is now Bangladesh. We told can recall a steep, dusty track, a military vehicle approaching and then men in uniform armed with fearsome-looking knives. I thought to myself, oh, this is the end. Then I realised these men were well-dressed, well-disciplined, definitely not Russians. In fact, they were Gurkhas, waiting with a very British welcome, a jug of tea and a plate of cucumber sandwiches. The long walk was over. The greatest escape was complete. 
It wasn't the end of Witold's war, though. When he came to Britain, he enlisted with the Polish forces, served at D-Day and was injured by shrapnel. Back in civilian life, he met and married Joyce and became a construction worker, helping to build the M5 and the M50 motorways. You know, this certainly is a story of bravery, endurance and commitment. But the spiritual walk also involves commitment, having a goal in mind and keeping to that goal. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards. quite a lot of references about our walk in life and I want to share some texts with you to encourage you. The first is from the Old Testament prophetic book of Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21. It says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk you in it. And when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left, and this is the voice of conscience and of promptings by the Holy Spirit. 
Personally, I'm very glad that God cares enough about us to guide us, and that we are able to discern between what is right and what's wrong. I'm not sure if animals have any sense of morality, of right and wrong. Although I have observed pets, especially intelligent ones like dogs, act in a guilty manner when they realise that their owners are unhappy with them. However, I suspect their guilty behaviour is more to do with training rather than a sense of guilt. For example, my son and his family went on holidays and they asked my wife and me if we would look after their Rhodesian Ridgeback for the duration of their absence from home. We agreed. PJ, as she was called, was a large but gentle-natured dog. She loved being with us because my wife would take her for long walks along the creek and into the hills in the mornings. One day my wife had been cooking and made about two dozen delicious vegetarian patties. She left them on the kitchen counter to cool before putting them in the fridge. When it came time to put them in the refrigerator, they were all gone. All two dozen of them. PJ seemed quite untroubled about the whole affair. She didn't look guilty and she didn't act guilty. But with humans it's different. God has placed within the human psyche a sense of morality. We are aware of what is right and what's wrong. And you and I know from experience how it feels when our conscience troubles us and it's not nice. Lie detectors, known as polygraphs, can pick up slight physical changes in the body when someone tells lies. The blood pressure may be slightly elevated. The pulse may increase in speed. The eyes and sometimes hands and feet become shifty. And even the body temperature may increase. It's far better to do as the text says to heed the promptings of the Holy Spirit and go in the way that's right. God does not work with loudspeakers. He uses the still, small voice of conscience. But if you know what is right, do it. And yet, God does not leave us alone to do battle with evil. He promises help. Found in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 2 is this promise. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. But don't bad things happen to good people? Yes, that's true. There are plenty of examples of people in the Bible who had to experience severe trouble. Such people were Job, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, and all of the Twelve Apostles. How then can that promise of God's presence and protection be true? Well, the text begins and outlines difficulties that God's people might have, described as passing through the waters and walking through the fire. I'd like to suggest that the literal waters refers to when the Israelites passed through the Red Sea unharmed. 
The walking in fire probably refers to when the three young men who were true to God were cast into the fiery furnace and came out unharmed. Oral tradition tells us that all the disciples except John were murdered. Did they believe God's promise? Well, it's my understanding they did. You see, these people faithfully served the Lord and they firmly believed that they would receive the reward of eternal life by being faithful. Even though bad things happened to them, that was not the end of their story. More and much better awaits them. And this is the same hope that I have, and is my wish that you may have it too. But we need the faith to believe it. When I was a young man, I was appointed to a position in the country about 300 kilometres north of Adelaide. On one occasion, I was in the city on the weekend, attending some meetings, but had to be back where I worked on Sunday to make preparation for some work commitments in the new week. I left Adelaide sometime after 10pm and I prayed for the Lord's protection on that late night trip. About 70 kilometres from where I lived, the roads turned to gravel. Somewhere between 1 to 2am, I fell asleep from the monotonous pounding of the wheels on the gravel road. Suddenly I was awakened with the car heading for a steep bank on the right side of the road. Had I hit that bank, it would have been disastrous. And I thank the Lord for waking me up before a collision. And it's my firm belief that God intervened at that moment and saved my life. It was one of my walking through waters experiences. My friends, I don't have all the answers why sometimes it seems as if God forgets about his promises, but I do believe that he will reward those of us who are faithful, who keep his commandments and have the faith of Jesus. Job was a God-fearing man, and he did not understand all the calamities that hit him, yet he was able to say, Though he, and he means God, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's from Job chapter 13 and verse 5. The Bible also reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. That means we must trust God, although we may not understand all that happens to us. Whether or not you have difficulties in your life, the important thing is to remain faithful to the Lord. It is that walk of faith and trust that leads to eternal freedom. As the people in the long walk story were 100% committed to reach the goal of freedom for themselves, we too must be committed to the Lord. Who cares if we have an easy or a hard life here on earth? Much better awaits the faithful. May you be one of them. Oh, 
Lord my God When I in awesome wonder Thou art. 